And welcome to Monday. It is the Puro Pelka podcast. Mike here as we mark the final Monday of February 2024. That's right. It is nearly the end of February. We get the extra day this year because it's a, a, a leap year. And we are 253 days away from the most important election in our lifetime. Not to be dramatic, but it is. And we'll get to that because I am back from CPAC and I have to tell you what I saw, what I heard, what I experienced this weekend. But before we go any further on this February 26th, let's go back on this day in the day. A little bit of history lesson. It was on this day in 1848, Marx and Engels published their Communist Manifesto in London, bringing their commie tripe to the Western world. Gladly, happily did not catch on. In 1929, Grand Teton National Park is established in Wyoming. Kind of a cool national park. I'd love to be able to say I went to all of them, but that would mean I'd have to go to all 50 states. Haven't gotten to Alaska and Hawaii yet. I think I am at uh, 43 states out of the 50. I still have a little work to do. In 1945, in the middle of World War II, we put a midnight curfew the country put a midnight curfew on, on bars, nightclubs, and places of entertainment. Imagine trying to do that today. You couldn't. In, uh, in the world of manufacturing and game-changing manufacturing at that, Nike got a patent on this date in 1974, a patent for a waffle sole on a running shoe. And they literally created it using a waffle iron. Kind of cool. Uh, 1993, this was the day that uh, the guy we called Oyster Eye, uh, Sheikh Abdel Rahman, masterminded a plot to bomb the World Trade Center using trucks that had bombs in them in the parking garages underneath. Five people were killed, hundreds injured mostly by smoke. Yeah, that was a tense time. And apparently we didn't pay enough attention because we all know what happened September 11th, 2001. That was 1993. It was kind of a wake-up call that we didn't wake up to, or maybe we did and we went back to sleep. And on this date in 2012, Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by George Zimmerman. Remember that and how the nation almost got torn apart over that. And the left was intent on saying that George Zimmerman was a white Hispanic, excuse me? If you're saying that Hispanic people are people of color, how can you have a white Hispanic? It was craziness, craziness all around. It's going to be an interesting week this week as we're approaching the possible government shutdown. You know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to say, oh, how tense it is. Oh, we have to do something. They'll do another continuing resolution. We've been here before. We're getting tired of it. Biden's going to bring a bunch of people from the House over to the White House on Tuesday, and they'll have some kind of fake negotiations. We'll see what happens. Hunter Biden's supposed to testify and do a a closed-door deposition this week in the House. That'll be interesting to see what gets leaked from that. Uh, There's more testimony going on in the attempts to disqualify Fannie Willis and her paramour, the lead prosecutor, Mr. Wade, in uh, Fulton County, Georgia. We'll talk to Wendy Patrick about that because I want to know about the text messages. Fannie Willis wants them thrown out. I don't know if that's going to happen. 
We will see. We will see. We will see. Over the weekend, Donald Trump scored a big victory, as expected, in South Carolina. It was just over 20 points margin of victory over Nikki Haley. And a bunch of those voters were Democrats who tried to mess with the uh, GOP primary. We know it. It wasn't a 20-point victory. It's probably closer to a 35-point victory. I'm just saying. Maybe. A lot bigger because of the Democrats. Uh, the shenanigans did not, uh, did not impress anybody. Senator John Thune, who is the number two Republican in the Senate, came out after South Carolina and endorsed Donald Trump. It's a big stinking deal. A really big deal. Nikki Haley still not dropping out, claiming she's in it until the end. I don't think that's really going to happen. I think she's got to get out soon. She's going to run out of money now that the Koch organization, K-O-C-H, Koch organization, is uh, pulling their funding. They don't see a pathway to her winning. So that should end it soon. But uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, is the Michigan primary. And we'll see what happens there. More interested to see if in the Michigan primary that, um, that, that there will be some Democrat protest votes as many on the left are saying they're mad at Joe Biden. He's going to get the nomination, but they're mad at him over what's happening in uh, Palestine, in Gaza. Not East Palestine, but in Palestine, in the Palestinians and the Israelis and the battle to get rid of Hamas, which, by the way, there is apparently a very close hostage deal happening that would uh, that would cease fire for 45 days while they exchange some hostages back and forth between Israel and Hamas. Uh, meanwhile, Israel's also blowing up some, some uh, places in Lebanon where they say the uh, terrorists are, are storing things, you know, stuff they're going to use on Israel. And Netanyahu was on Face the Nation yesterday claiming the uh, Israeli people are united behind him. We'll see. There's some Votes coming up. We'll we'll pay attention to that. And then the uh, story of the U.S. Air Force member in critical condition after setting himself on fire in D.C. in front of the Israeli embassy. Uh, that's got to be one of the most horrific ways to die is to set yourself on fire. And I think you have to be so mentally ill that you have no idea what the pain is going to be like. And, and you may not even feel it. It's crazy. The other story that is not getting enough attention on the left side of the mainstream media is the killing of the nursing student, the young lady in, in Georgia who was killed by a guy who's here illegally, a guy who never should have been in this country. But Lake and Raleigh, 22 years old, murdered by somebody who had no business being here, and it's on Joe Biden. It's all on Joe Biden. That's all you can say. This is Joe Biden's fault. This family is grieving because a 26-year-old lawbreaker who's been charged with mal malice murder, felony murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, meaning he kidnapped her, hindering a 9-11 call, and concealing the death. It just... I wish Georgia had the death penalty. But this guy never should have been here. He'd been here, thrown out, came back. He'd been arrested. And, of course, they let him out. They didn't keep him. It's just such a horrible tragedy. 
Lake and Riley should be the face of many Republican ad campaigns against this administration and against every Democrat running on open borders. There. That's it. Any questions? Good. I didn't think so. I did not think so. Oh, watch your uh, gas prices. Gas prices might start going up a lot faster and farther than anyone anticipated. Why is this happening? Well, the crisis in the Red Sea created by the uh, Houthis who are attacking all the ships funded by Iran. The crisis in the Red Sea has uh, created a global shortage of oil tankers. A lot of commerce goes through the Red Sea, and a lot of it is oil commerce. And because of the Houthis attacking these ships, uh, it's going to maybe add a little extra cost to insuring the ships. It's also going to make the trips longer, which means you're not going to have as many ships delivering because of those longer trips, which means the price is going to go up. That's not good for any of us. Unless, of course, you just say drill, baby, drill, and, and pump all the oil and gas here in America. But we're not doing that because Joe Biden wants to shut all that down. And by the way, not just oil, but the natural gas. The Biden administration's push to shut down the natural gas terminals uh, has allowed Qatar to expand their exports. So while we turn away commerce, the rest of the world is taking it. It's all about evening the playground, isn't it? It's so stupid. It really is stupid. Very, very irritating. A couple of other stories I want to keep uh, my eye on. Um, the Italian TV stations are now doing sketches that make fun of Joe Biden and his little speeches when he gets lost on the podium. And uh, SNL actually was kind of funny this week as they brought in Shane Gillis. I don't know if you saw any of that. Shane Gillis was the, the guest host this week, and he was a guy that SNL hired and then fired. He was a guy that SNL wanted to be part of the show a few years ago, and they, they said, oh, wait a minute. People on the left don't like this guy. He's a comedian. And he told some apparently racist and homophobic jokes in 2019, so they said... No, we're not going to let you on. But they let him run wild. Why? Why now? Why now? He, he dropped the uh, R word, you know, the word that ends in tard. During his monologue, he used the term cracker to describe white people. He made fun of um, young boys who are their mother's best friends and called them gay. And his sketches were pretty funny, too, I have to tell you. But uh, <laughs> I, I have a thought on why Shane Gillis was allowed on Saturday Night Live. I think this was a corporate decision. I believe Bud Light has also hired Shane Gillis as a spokesperson to try and get back some of the lost billions in revenue from beer sales after the Dylan Mulvaney thing. Well, could it be that Bud Light may have purchased the opportunity to have Shane Gillis on SNL? I'm not saying it happened, but my spidey senses are tingling.
I would not put it past both NBC and Bud Light to make that deal. I'm just throwing that out there, just floating that out there. All right, we've got to talk about CPAC. The Conservative Political Action Conference happened over the past weekend. I was doing live broadcast for a Florida radio station, 92.5 Fox News, out of Fort Myers, Naples. My buddy Drew Steele and I talked to everybody we could. And I saw my pal Rich Zioli there and several of my radio brothers. And, um, and we covered it. And I think we covered it all. And in covering it, I want to share with you some of the clips, some of the moments, and including uh, President Trump's speech on Saturday, which I thought was great. I thought he started slow with too many uh, shout-outs and stuff. We'll, we'll get into that. First, let me give you some of the sidelights. Uh, one of my favorite moments, absolute favorite moments, was when uh, Christy Nome, who, by the way, tied for the lead in the uh, straw poll for who should be Trump's VP. It's not happening. She's not going to be his VP. I, I really don't think so. I'll tell you who I think it's going to be later. But Christy Nome got up there on Thursday and got a great response to this line. I'm just going to say it. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they suck. <laughs> yep, they suck. No way to sugarcoat it. And then Carrie Lake was on stage. Carrie Lake, who Donald Trump referred to as uh, going to be a great senator in Arizona. Let's hope. Carrie Lake got up there and talked about alpha males, beta males, and the kind of males that she thinks America needs. Right here. I like a strong man. We got way too many weaklings out there. How... Let me hear from the ladies out there. We're tired of the beta men. We want some alpha men. And we got a number one alpha man in Donald J. Trump. I think we've got, we've got some pretty strong men in this room as well. And that's what is going to get us through this difficult time. You know, I don't really care if he pissed off the fake news. I really don't. Those mean tweets brought us world peace. They really did. Yeah. Mean tweets equal world peace. That should be on a shirt somewhere. Mean tweets equal world peace. Trump 2024. Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs also took the stage at CPAC on uh, Saturday morning and and uh, talked about Joe Biden. Talked in a rather unfiltered manner about Joe Biden. The idea that this is a free country, that this president in some way has any right to that office, and I should have warned you, I'm going to be plain spoken today. There is no question about the legitimacy of this president, President Joe Biden. He is an illegitimate president. And one of the, the worst, worst results we have ever seen from any election, irrespective of crooked rigged or fair and free now he goes on but that that's pretty uh pretty raw and i respect lou dobbs for getting up there and saying that he doesn't care anymore he does not care there were a lot of frontal attacks on joe biden and not just from donald trump as you will hear there were some pretty strong statements about what uh donald, what donald trump will do when he returns if and when he returns especially as it relates to the border and we heard it from some of his former lieutenants. 
like Tom Homan, who used to head up ice. Tom Homan, who I think will be back heading up ice if Donald Trump is reelected. We talked with Tom Homan at length about the situation on our southern border and uh, just how many of uh, Biden's executive orders have been foisted upon us and what they have done. The southern border, he signed over 90 executive orders in the first 60 days. 90. 90. So he, he, he killed every program that we had that proved successful. All of them. And like I said, you know, he ran on open borders. You got to give the guy credit. He kept his promise. He, he opened the border. But the bottom line is, is that two things. Number one, we'll show him how to secure the border in January 25, but he can do the same thing. He says, now he wants to blame it on Republicans because they didn't sign that, that atrocious Senate bill, which was terrible. They shouldn't have signed it. And people need to understand, he could solve this today with a stroke of a pen. He could put the Remain in Mexico program back in today because the highest course of land is said it's legal. People still claim asylum, but they're going to wait in Mexico. And those that win, welcome to the United States. Those that lose, we're going to go find them in, in, to remove them. So he could fix this today with a stroke of pen. He don't need legislation. He could do it himself by executive order, just like President Trump did. Yeah. Couldn't he technically just undo all of those 90-plus executive orders, and we'd be back to where we were? Absolutely. Yeah. The Remain in Mexico program, the Third Safe Country Agreements, uh, and continue building the wall. The money's been allocated by Congress to build the wall. Finish the wall. Walls work. Because people say, well, where are they coming through now? They're coming through there's not a wall. Now, there's a few areas of the wall they, they saw through. And, and why isn't that fixed? I ask the same question. Why aren't we fixing those uh, ballots? The, the, the ballots were designed to be replaced, but you don't see them fixing them. Look, this, isn't, this, is, this is not mismanagement. This is not incompetence. This is by design. They haven't done a damn thing to slow the flow in three years. All of a sudden, now they're talking about, well, we can do this, we can do that. And why is that? Because the elections come up in a few months. They want to act like they're doing something. They haven't done a thing. And I, and, and I wish the White House press corps would ask them, ask Kareem, can you name one thing this president has done to slow the flow at the border? Just one. Name one thing. Because the answer is he hasn't done, he hasn't done anything. No, he hasn't done a thing. And what, what the um, lack of action to defend our southern border has done, not just the story of the young lady who was killed in Georgia by the illegal, but the thousands of crimes around the country, the effects on city budgets, et cetera, but also on the morale of the men and women who are there to protect our border. We talked with Holman at length about this as well as some of the other solutions. Morale, the morale CBP is in the toilet. I was down on the southern border with Texas DPS with their helicopter crew chasing down groups. And, and I actually landed and, and helped some Border Patrol agents on, on tracking the group because I used to do that. It's been a long time. But I talked to three Border Patrol agents. And, and they walked up to me. And the morale's in the tank. And, and, and jokingly, one guy says, I'm such and such. I'm, a, I'm the Border Patrol Uber driver. I drive aliens to the airport. The other one says, hi, I'm a, I'm a tourist agent. I'm the one that makes arrangements for them to get their final destination at taxpayer expense. These guys, they're, they're make, they, they have to joke about it. If not, they'll lose their minds. Right. Yeah, they will. What this has done to the men and women of the Customs and Border Patrol is just terrible. And we talked about the fact that Donald Trump said he's going to deport as many of these people as he can. We talked to uh, Tom Homan about that deportation and how the left is already attacking the idea of getting rid of the people who are here illegal, which just mystifies me. I understand the left's already attacking 
the Trump promise on the biggest deportation operation yeah. in its history. I testified three weeks ago up on the Hill, and one of the congressmen asked me, well, you made the statement that you'll help run the biggest deportation operation in the country. You want to you justify those remarks you made? I said, I don't need to justify them. I said it. I meant it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Right. I said, what is the option? What, the question you need to ask that tender a congressman, what are the options? So the 9 out of 10 who we gave due process to at great taxpayer expense at billions of dollars, they're ordered removed by an immigration judge. What is the option if we don't remove them? Let them stay? Because if you let them stay, then shut down the immigration courts. Because obviously the immigration courts don't mean anything. Right. Federal judges' decisions don't mean anything. Take the Border Patrol. Take them all off the line. Because it, it doesn't matter if they get arrested and get, get, be in front of a judge because you're never going to remove them. Yeah. we got to have consequences. If there's not consequences, we're never going to fix the problem. We need accountability. We need consequences. Tom Homan talked very frankly about what needs to be done. And if you're not going to enforce the border, why have Customs and Border Patrol? Why have immigration courts? Save all that money. You don't need it. You really don't need it. There was a lot of buzz about who will be Donald Trump's vice president. And I will tell you who I think it will be later on in the podcast. But I want to talk about Donald Trump at CPAC. I, I did think he started slowly, but he finished strong. He started with ah, just a little too much of, hey, look who's here. This person, that person, a lot of shout outs and thank yous. And we didn't need that. But once he got going. Once he got on it, I think Donald Trump was absolutely spot on. And I, I loved it when he got fired up and fell off the teleprompter. His speech was good. His speech was solid. But I also like it when he kind of freelances. But to achieve a great future, we first have to throw off the chains of our out-of-control political class. And that begins with telling... Crooked Joe Biden, you remember The Apprentice? Crooked Joe Biden, you're fired. Get out of here. Get the hell. You're, dis you're destroying our country. You're fired, Biden. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, it wasn't written that way in the speech, but it was delivered that way, and it's brilliant. Donald Trump talked about day one. Now, you got to remember, we still have to make it until January of 2025. Because even though the election's 253 days away, then we got to get through the lame duck era of the Biden presidency. And those people could do a lot of damage. But Donald Trump talked about the action plan on day one of the second term. The first and most urgent action when we win will be the sealing of the border, stopping the invasion, drill, baby, drill. Send Joe Biden's illegal aliens back home. We'll do all of, all of those things, and we're going to have to do them fast because no country can sustain what's happening in our country. No country at all. He's 100% he's correct. Uh, there, there was more talk that I thought was uh, great from Donald Trump, more talk of uh, strong leadership and what we need in this country. At the ballot box this November, it's you and the people you have to be, and we'll deliver a reckoning like they haven't even imagined before. We're going to straighten out our country. We're going to bring our country back. For hardworking Americans, November 5th will be our new Liberation Day, but for the liars and cheaters and fraudsters and censors and imposters 
who have commandeered our government, it will be their judgment day. Their judgment day. That's right. November 5th, the judgment day. Liberation day for the rest of us. He was, uh, he was pretty damn strong, I thought. Pretty damn strong. Uh, there were a couple other moments I have to share with you. I, I, I love this one. I think this needs to be part of a campaign slogan. Your victory will be our ultimate vindication. Your liberty will be our ultimate reward. And the unprecedented success of the United States of America will be my ultimate and absolute revenge. That's what I want. Success will be our revenge. Success will be our revenge. You know, they always say living well is the best revenge. And our success, which will be America's success, which will be the success of all people. You know, when, when Donald Trump and the capitalist system win, everybody wins. Everybody moves up. That's, it's just amazing. I did like the way Mr. Trump would weave in and out of his speech, his prepared remarks. And I got a couple examples I want to share with you because I think they're fascinating. And they're longer clips than normal. But I think they're important. Donald Trump wandering off the teleprompter here a little bit. Rush would go Barack Hussein. You couldn't hear Barack or Obama, but the name Hussein, he'd be screaming. I don't know exactly what he meant by that. I think I do. But he'd go Barack Hussein. So I'd go Barack Hussein Obama, our president, has done this, this. Now, I meant that because there are those people that say he's running our country because... Joe is not strong on aptitude. So there are those. We don't know that that's true. But they go out and they say, Donald Trump, headline. Donald Trump doesn't know who the president of our country. He thinks Obama's the president, Lou. Look at the great Lou Dobbs. He thinks Obama is the president. So when I'm sarcastic, because I'm sort of a sarcastic guy, I find humor and sarcasm, but it's very dangerous to do because they take it very seriously. But it's a very serious subject because of what happened. To finish the first story, what happened? <laughs> hey, by the way, isn't this better than reading off a frickin' teleprompter? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I think the audience likes that. This, and remember, this is CPAC, so these are hardcore conservatives right there. Uh, Donald Trump told a story about landing in Iraq. And this was a secret mission that the president went on in the early part of his uh, first term, hoping for a second term, obviously. And um, he, he talked about the trip they took flying to Iraq undercover. Nobody knew where Donald Trump was going. This is going to be a surprise. I believe this was a Thanksgiving trip to have Thanksgiving with the troops. And even the media didn't know where they were going. And the plane, Air Force One, was flying in a secret manner, blacked out in the skies at 40,000 feet. And this story is just epic. This may be one of my favorite Donald Trump stories ever. And I said, why is ISIS so tough? He said, they're not tough, sir. They just don't let us do our job. I said, why not? He said, because and this is after I flew to Iraq. You know, I flew to Iraq. In a plane, some of you know the story, it was all dark. After spending 20 years and a trillion dollars, we can't turn the lights on in a plane. I sat with the pilots, the most handsome human beings I've ever seen. It's not my thing, but they're handsome. <laughs> not my thing, not even a little bit, but they are handsome. Central casting, better looking than Tom Cruise and taller. 
Stirn. Stirn. I'll deviate on the story. Now, by the way, when I deviate, they'll say, oh, he went from... No, no. A really smart person can go through various stories, always come back and conclude everything. Okay. There was a little bit of a dig at the media who's saying, oh, Trump's losing it. He's losing his edge. And they keep trying to make stuff up. Donald Trump does stop in the middle of a speech and go off on a tangent, like he's telling this story about the flight the secret flight to Iraq. Don't worry, we'll get back to the, we'll get back to Mexico. But this is almost, right now this is more exciting. So the plane's off. I say, why are you doing that? Because, sir, we're flying over an area that's very dangerous, where we spent 20 years eradicating. And so I said, I want to go sit with the pilots, because I often do that. And I'm sitting with the pilots, and I get up there, I'm feeling my way up. And the plane was absolutely dark, no lights on the outside, no lights on the inside. It was, it was a little spooky. We're up there, 40,000 feet, getting ready to start going down, and they're telling us we can't have any lights, no lights, no lights in your cabin, sir. And then they pull down the shades anyway. So I'm sort of feeling my way. I get up there, and I see this captain with the crew cut, the whole deal he's got. Yes, sir, it's an honor to be with you, sir. And I said, Captain, I don't see any lights. You know, we're getting close. Is there a problem out there, Captain? No, sir, we'll be landing in less than 30 minutes, sir. I say, all right. And I'm sitting in a seat that's right in the back between these two handsome human beings. And, you know, they always give, they always give the best pilots, the Air Force One and Marine One, the helicopters you have, which is good. One thing you know, one thing you know, you got great pilots. They, these are the best. And so he said, no problem, sir. We'll be landing in a little while. And then 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes. I haven't seen one light. There's nothing. It's like, and I'm getting a little nervous. You know, do you ever see? I'm trying to act cool as a cucumber. And it's, uh, if you know anything about planes, you have the computer. I call it the computer voice. It's the most beautiful voice. If I had that voice, I would have been president. 20 years earlier. But the most beautiful voice, so professional. 1,000. That means you're 1,000 feet over the ground. Now, I haven't seen a light. I haven't seen anything. It's just dead. There's not anything. That means we're, like, really low. We have this massive plane. We're just right off the ground. Then it goes 900, 800, 700. 600. Now, we're 600 feet off the ground. We're flying in. The plane is dark, with the exception of a tiny little light that they've got on their dashboard underneath everything and totally concealed. There's not a light anywhere. I've never seen anything. It was, like, dark. 500. I said, Captain, <clears throat> are we okay, Captain? Everything fine? Yes, sir. No problem. We'll be on the ground in just a few minutes, sir. I say, what ground? I'm not... So, 400, 300, 200. Captain, are we okay? Yes, sir. We'll be landing momentarily, sir. 100. Now, usually when you're in these planes, I do it a lot. You have lights bursting, you know, burst, big lights. You got a runway. It's lit up like a candle. There's not one light. 
There's not even a little, what they call a pigeon light. That's a tiny little light. 100. And I want to ask him again, but I want to show some bravery. Because I thought we were going down for the count. And then all of a sudden, and, and it's genius. There is no light. And then all of us are 100. And then, bing, bing, beautiful landing like nothing to it. Sir, it was an honor to be with you today, sir. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> does anybody have a towel? I'm saying, does anybody have a towel? I need a towel. Donald Trump telling that story about the tense landing in complete darkness until you're 100 feet off the ground in Air Force One is epic. And you can't imagine Joe Biden pulling that off because Joe Biden would add corn pop in there somewhere. Corn pop would have been flying Air Force One. And then Donald Trump talked about getting off the plane. And th this entire story was about how he met our generals and how great our military was and how we got rid of ISIS. The uh, Raisin Cane story, this is a story of a general named Cain. And uh, Mr. Trump talked about getting off the plane and meeting one of the generals. I said to one of the generals, what's your name? Cain, sir, my name is Cain. He looked better than any movie actor you could get. My name is Cain, sir. I said, all right, Cain, what's your first name? They call me Raisin. I said, what? Raisin, sir. Your name is Raisin Cane? Yes, sir. I love you. You're the man I'm looking for. You're the man I'm looking for. Donald Trump is a man of the people, and he proves it when he gives speeches like this. But he was also trying to make a point about what happened in Iraq and and how we got rid of ISIS, even though they're trying to reform now. This is the rest of that story. I'm walking out and getting ready to go down and meet the generals in Iraq to find out why we're not defeating ISIS. And I see my staff and I, I say, that was quite an experience I just had. Yes, sir, the great landing. And he said, yeah, what was it? And I said, let me ask you a question. Is the President of the United States allowed to give himself the Congressional Medal of Honor for Bravery? Because I did a very brave thing. I was, very brave. I was so brave. Am I allowed to do it? And they said, sir, it would not be a good thing to do. Now, here's the problem with that story. The fake news media will lead tomorrow. Donald Trump wanted to give himself the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's true. It's true. When I imitate Biden, who can't find the stairs ever. You know, you have so many stairs in there. You got one there, you got ramps, you got everything. Here you only have two or three stairs. Sometimes you have six, seven stairs. The craziest thing, what a waste of money. My father would say, what the hell are they doing? All you need is one stair. But for Biden, you need many. But when I imitate him with the stairs, because he never can find his way. If you ever see Secret Service runs up and grabs him and, you know, helps him off the stage. This is what we have negotiating nuclear weapons. So he finishes his speech, and he, do you ever notice? He always finishes it. The speeches last about, would you say, average two, three minutes, right? Very quick. They're very quick and not good. Not good. But the press gives him good marks. I remember when he made such a bad State of the Union speech. Everything was stumbling, mumbling. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. And I said, I'm going to watch CNN, MSDNC to find out what they say, because that was one of the worst speeches. 
They said, not since FDR has there been a speech so magnificently delivered. I'm telling you, I've never, ever forgotten it. Not since FDR. I said, it's impossible. They're just, they're fake. They're, they're terrible. But you know what? When he goes, and he always points, he goes like this. Thank you. Where am I? Thank you. And then he goes. He's doing the Biden walk, the stiff leg walk. And he walk. points. You ever notice? And it's always he ends up going in the opposite direction, ultimately. He's right. He's right. Donald Trump is absolutely right. Joe Biden had to be helped off, given the directions, and he still screws it up. It was a great speech. I, maybe one of his better. A little slow at the beginning, but he brought it home and got standing ovations at the end. All right, I promised you I would talk about who I think should be Donald Trump's vice presidential pick because there's apparently a short list right now. And we, we're hearing that at CPAC, they did have a straw poll where the people there were asked who they would pick for Trump's VP. And in first place, it was a tie between Kristi Noem and Vivek Ramaswamy. And I think that happened because both of them had spoken recently at CPAC. Both of them got great responses. In third place was Tulsi Gabbard at 9%. And New York Representative Elise Stefanik, who I think is great. And South Carolina Senator Tim Scott both got 8%. The person who I think is going to be Trump's pick didn't even make the list on the CPAC poll. Seriously. I think it's going to be Byron Donalds. And I think it's going to be Byron Donalds after sitting and talking to the guy. And I've talked to him more than once before. But I really think he is the rare combination of business experience and some, pre some previous governmental experience. And he talked about, uh, you know, polling and, and, and how polling shouldn't necessarily determine what you, the elected official, want to do. You've been chosen by the people, so you should be allowed to do what you said you were going to go there and do. He talked about how those decisions should be portrayed to the people. When we first met you, you're just the guy kind of walking the halls here. Now there's a crowd of people following you. Yeah. It's, is it security <laughs> or do you, do you have a posse now that you... No, that was actually like the mass of people. Like my chief is here and uh, two of my staff members are here, but that's just people and yep. uh, reporters and stuff like that. It's kind of crazy, to be honest with you. But... um. But this is the Just good crazy. This is, these are happy people. Oh, yeah, except for the press. Yeah. Most of them are happy. Now, they just, look, I think people here, are, they're excited, obviously. We're now in the election year. Um, people want to see uh, President Trump back. You can yeah. feel that energy here. That's without question. I mean, if, if I just mentioned his name here, people would just start cheering. Like, right, yeah, you're crazy. Yeah. Go, you know, you know, but um, our country's really struggling. And so we got to get, we need him back in the White House. Uh, and we have to lead. You know, you can't pull this stuff. You can't try to be like, oh, well, do we think, what do people want? Do they want They want fish or chicken? No, no, dude. Make the food. <laughs> make the food. And make good food. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. yeah. We need to make good food, good laws for the entire country. Uh, we, we asked Byron about the uh, VP shortlist. And he had some really great things to say about that. You can't get too much into it. His team's going to make that decision. Um. Look, I know there, you know, there are members who are trying to, like, put themselves in position to do this stuff. 
I'm not trying to I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to just do the job in front of me. Um, I think that for the president, whoever is going to be the VP, um, obviously they're going to be out there every day. They got to be able to campaign. They got to be able to hit the road and do all that kind of stuff. Um, they got to be able to help help the president energize voters. And President Trump has no issue energizing voters. Right. Um, and I think you got to be a standard bearer for what we believe in and putting our country first, putting America first. And so um, it's a great honor. It really is. It's cool. I will tell you, man. It's cool. From like being in like that nine way race, like two, like uh, four years ago, and <laughs> and yep. winning by like seven hundred or something votes, and yep. now you're on the short list for the Veep. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but that, it's a big you, jump. You just you just do your job. You can't really control it too much. Yeah. Just do what just do what's in front of you, and good things will work out. Well, I'm a big fan of of you, and I'm not a resident of your district, but oh, I that's follow a shame. you. you I know you're, you're talking to <laughs> you know about the flood, <laughs> man. My, I'm trying to get my wife down here. It's, it's slowly but surely. I think next year is a big year for us. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at all the work and all the leadership that you've assumed naturally. It's not like it feels like it's forced. But speaking of leadership, when we look at the House, there is such a slim margin right now of leadership for the GOP. And I know the Democrats are working hard. What do you feel about 2024 and the House and control of it by the by the GOP? I, I think that the House majority is based on President Trump. I think his success is our success. I don't think there's anything that we're doing one way or the other that's going to move votes. Um, I, I truly believe that the nation is starved for leadership real genuine leadership and you know i said on stage that look leadership isn't all fun and giggles and it feels good sometimes leadership is telling telling people what they don't want to hear sometimes yeah. leadership is just being direct and tough and holding people accountable um and, and and in great organizations on great teams you need sometimes you need tough strong leadership and president trump does that so I think the House majority and even the Senate majority, that's all going to be based upon how Donald Trump performs in this election. And, and the crazy thing about him is that for any one person, you would be like, oh, my gosh, like the weight, lit the literal weight of the world is on your shoulders. But he just steps through it and walks through it um, in stride because, I mean, first, he believes in himself. Ain't no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. He does. But, I, but he also has a deep and abiding passion for this country. And I, I think he truly believes this is exactly what he should be doing at this point in time in his life. And when you have that kind of, that kind of view of, your, of where you are and what you're doing, mm -hmm. man, nothing can stop you. Right. Byron Donalds, in one of the uh, many conversations we had at CPAC, and he is a, uh, a great support for Donald Trump, and that's another reason why I think he would be a good VP. We talked about leadership with Byron Donalds, and I think this adds even more fuel to my fire. I'll tell you this. I was told by my good friend Andrew Joppa, who still lives in Naples, he told me once, he goes, there's two forms of leadership. The first form of leadership is jumping in front of a, a parade when it's already going down the street. The second form of leadership is taking people to a place that they wouldn't have necessarily gotten to on their own. We have too many politicians that just jump in front of parades when they're already going down the street. That's why we poll everything. That's why everything is polled all the time. Yeah. And they say, oh, well, the American people are saying this. 54% say that, so that's what we're going to do. No, no. 
How about you look at the issues, you make a decision, and you lead? Because as you go through that process, and as long as you're communicating what the vision is or where you're trying to get to, people will follow that. They will rally around that, even though they didn't necessarily think that was the proper solution. And so that's really the, the core of leadership to what you're speaking about that our country needs. It, but you can't be afraid of that. You can't be afraid. You can't second guess it. You have to see it, execute it, do it. And I gave a speech. I was in Tallahassee. I gave a speech to small business owners. And one of the things I talked about was how, you know, small business owners are some of the best elected officials because they don't. They don't, they don't overthink it. They see the issue, well, we could do this or this or this. They make a decision and they go. They're not, they're not measuring 30 times and cutting once. They're, they just, they well, go and do, they go and they do. They're also dealing with something that isn't really uh, applied in, in where we are today, and that's accountability. If you run a small business and you make a decision, it's on you. And we don't seem to have accountability at the front of of anything these days and once we bring accountability and you mentioned it about two minutes ago bringing accountability back then you start to say okay every decision has consequences good or bad look Mike I'll tell you I don't have a problem being wrong and most of the time I'm right but I don't have a problem <laughs> you know. wait 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 you're what most of the time you're I'm right right all along Gotta oh, stay on right. brand. Most of the time, oh, I'm right. Wow. Can we stay on brand, please? Wow. Let's redo this. Right. Most of the time, I'm right all along. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Man. But that being said, I mean, look, I don't have a problem getting it wrong. What I do have a problem with is not having a plan and executing. Yeah. See it, execute, do it. That's it. If you mess it up because you were decisive, people will actually give you an ability to get it right. But if you're wishy-washy and you're all over the place and you can't make a decision, that's when everybody just starts getting frustrated and say, you know what, who, who else? Who else we got? I think Byron Donalds, who you've been hearing in these pieces of the interview we did with him at CPAC, I think he is the combination that I would look for if I wanted a vice president. He is the combination of professionalism, politics, common sense, and a little tough love in there, too. And he's committed to his decisions. And he doesn't take the power lightly. He understands the seriousness of the task at hand and the responsibility. And he's not afraid to stand up and speak truth to power. Like in this final shorter clip, when he called Joe Biden an old liar. Joe Biden is an old is an old liar politician. That's who he is. Yeah. The difference is now there's social media, YouTube, and 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 uh, and uh, uh, X, um, and Rumble, and all these different platforms that just give you what he said three years ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, and it spices with what he's saying now. So people can readily see, man, dude, you're lying to me. But back when there was three newspapers and four news channels, you could get away with all that stuff because the press was in the back pocket. Look, I think. Today, with the border, with, with uh, student loans and all this kind of stuff, you, you cannot have these politicians just ignore the law or break the law and play catch me if you can. That's just not going to work. So I think, you know, with, with Joe Biden, people say, well, what's going on with impeachment? Well, we're finishing our investigation of the family, but 
He's violated Supreme Court precedent with student loans. He's violated federal law with respect to the border. Because if we impeach Mayorkas for it, Joe Biden's the boss. He, he's the one that ordered it. So you have multiple reasons for why the man should be impeached. And you got to have elected officials who are held to account by the law and the Constitution. Because if you don't do that, then they're going to do whatever they want and the people suffer as a result. I completely agree with this guy. I'm, I, I think about 99% of the stuff he's out there talking about. Byron Donald's congressman from Florida. And yes, he's from the reddest district in the reddest state in the country. And I think Donald Trump would be well served to make him his nominee. Now, what about the Florida thing? A lot of people are going, what about the Florida thing? You can't have two people from the same state. Well, one of those guys could get a driver's license in another state in a second. And that solves that problem right there. All right, I'm pushing a pause on the politics because uh, we have to uh, step away from CPAC. It's still kind of political, but it's legal stuff. It's about the lawfare. Talking about what's going on in Fulton County, Georgia, with uh, District Attorney Fawny Willis and the lead prosecutor she hired, who she has a romantic relationship with, and uh, the the revelation that they may have lied. They may have lied on the witness stand, especially about how long their relationship has been going on. And uh, so I wanted to get the, the straight scoop on it, and I called up our friend, attorney, author, Wendy Patrick, to talk specifically about the text messages because there will be a little more stuff happening this week. But uh, Wendy Patrick, as I said, attorney, author, prosecutor, writes great stuff in uh, Psychology Today. Follow her on Twitter, Wendy Patrick, PhD. Uh, But she is here right now. Hello, my friend. Hey, it's always a pleasure to join you. Well, I'm glad you're here. I wish you could have been at CPAC one year we will get you at CPAC, and we will drag you around to all the events, and I think you'll have a blast. I would blast. love that. <laughs> it would be great. And next, that. Maybe yeah. next year. Well, I'll, uh, I'll save this recording so I can say, Wendy said she would love it, so we're going to force her to do it. <laughs> we will see. Um, Wendy, late this week we got news that some of the text messages between Fannie Willis and her buddy, the lead prosecutor, Mr. Wade, um, maybe in direct contradiction with some of their testimony. And, and I'm just wondering, who, who do we believe? Do we believe the data from the cell towers or do we believe the words from the prosecutor? You know, you, you can probably believe both in a lot of instances. You know, we talk about the, the timeline, the relational timeline. When, when did the relationship change from peer to paramour? Um, in order to determine that, you need more than the amount of time people text or email each other. I mean, you could look at emails and texts between you and I or you and your other guests. And, you know, sometimes there's a flurry of activity because it's surrounding current events or, in their case, you know, a criminal case or something else. I mean, there's no there's no question they knew each other. However, we also call it circumstantial evidence because sometimes in order to determine the nature and quality of somebody's relationship, it's both quantity and quality. Now, we don't have the quality because nobody recorded the calls. But if you've got sort of ebbs and flows uh, around events or birthdays or maybe things that are more personal than professional, well, then that's what they're going to sort of deduce 
in terms of uh, the relationship. I have to say one thing, though, Mike. When when we're reminded of these kinds of, you know, sort of sideshows, I'll, I'll call it that, the, the larger question that I think you saw on broad display when Fannie Willis was testifying is, what does this have to do with the merits of the criminal case against Donald Trump? Remember what you kept saying on the stand? Who's on trial? I'm not on trial. So it's interesting. It's relevant in terms of potential disqualification or conflict of interest. But the long and the short of it, at the end of the day, it probably will have zero impact on the merits of the case at issue. Now, that's very interesting you brought that up because I, I heard Trey Gowdy, who was a prosecutor in his past life before going into Congress and then ultimately into broadcasting, I heard him say you should focus on the merits of the case and not right. these personal relationships. And he also brought up the idea that, you know, Mr. Wade, as the lead prosecutor with really no experience in this world, he might be the guy that you want to face instead of possibly a very well-experienced lead prosecutor now brought in maybe if this is a disqualification situation. So you might have been going against a minor leaguer and then suddenly he's replaced by the home run king in, in this specific <laughs> field. So uh, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. You know, let me make a comment about that because I've heard a lot of people say uh, something similar. You know, this case isn't about romance. It should be about experience. You know, you bring in a, a special prosecutor because they have special skills, unique experience. But you also bring in hard workers. There is nothing in the law or in the ethical code that says somebody cannot become competent either by associating in somebody else or by getting up to speed. So he's never tried a sprawling RICO case. Maybe he's like one of those guys, kind of like you and I, that literally work all the time. Uh, why wouldn't you want to bring in somebody that just has the drive and the, you know, the hours and the stamina and the, and the work ethic? So it's hard to say as a blanket rule that simply because nobody's done a particular case before, they're not capable of doing it. Um, and I'm just saying that for, for the sake of, you know, me, I always like to argue both sides of everything. And I just thought I haven't heard that side argued enough. It is true when you've got somebody named Donald Trump on the docket that you might not want to risk getting somebody up to speed. You might want to already go with somebody that's done 10 RICO prosecutions if such a person exists. But those are the dueling narratives that have made this timeline relevant regarding why was, now he wasn't her first choice, there's no question about that, but why was he the choice? And then your point is well taken as well. If we recuse Mr. Wade, who do you get next? Who steps in and steps up to the plate and takes over the prosecution? And that will not come without significant delay, which is, of course, what the Trump team would love to have. Yeah, and we're not going to know that right away, and that's probably nope. a, a week or two off. But when uh, Ms. Ms. Uh, Fonnie Willis argued that uh, these these text messages, the cell phone data, isn't considered legitimate or shouldn't be taken as really strong evidence, don't we use cell tower data in a lot of murder cases? I watch all these these murder shows on TV, and they always seem to get the guy when they say, your cell phone was pinging one block from the murder scene. I know, and they get them in 60 minutes, and that's including the commercials. Yeah, it's amazing how fast they, they solve crime online. Um, but you're right. Yeah, we use cell tower data for a, a variety of things. And as you mentioned, one of the big things is location. 
great for location. Um, you also can look at duration of calls and frequency of calls and all the rest. I think what she was arguing, and sort of reading between the lines, given what she said, uh, she's arguing that the communication doesn't prove the nature of the relationship. And think about that as a practical matter. Like, when does really good, when do really good friends take it to the next level? Is it the first time they hold hands? I mean, you know, you could imagine, gosh, we're all going back to high school. But that's what they're trying to do in establishing this timeline. And it may be interesting. It's certainly salacious. And, and you can imagine both, you know, Nathan and Fanny have probably had it. And they're just kind of ready to, you know, judge on March 1st or whatever day it is, make a decision, let's go on. But it is true that cell tower data and cell phone pingings and all the rest of it have a lot of use nowadays. And as time goes on, we're just getting better at learning how to use and market that data. And I've, I've just come up with something, Wendy, and you can tell me if this is like a, a creation from my brain. The category now is called digital witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Digital witnesses are supposedly the unimpeachable witness. But are they really? You know, I always say this about artificial intelligence. Somebody's programming this stuff. Somebody's always behind the, the loading of the data that it's going to be used to achieve a particular outcome, a result. And I would say the same is true regardless of what kind of a technology is built, is it usually the results are as good as the data used to program or inform it. But uh, if you do it right, and if it would be possible to do it in an unbiased manner, not only would it be the digital witness, but it would be the unimpeachable digital witness that potentially wouldn't have a bias if we could ever achieve that. But you're absolutely right. You've got a great soundbite for one of your morning columns. Or, or we, we now put together another show after Food Court. You know, that's our first TV that's show right. we're going to get. It's now the called. Digital Witness. That'll be the name of the next one. That's right. <laughs> digital Witnesses Never Lie. You don't have to get, make them raise their hand and, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Our friend is Wendy Patrick. She is an attorney and author, a public speaker extraordinaire, and writes incredible stuff in psychology today as well. Find her on Twitter slash X at Wendy Patrick, Ph.D., and wherever I am on the radio. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mike. And there she goes. And it's time for me to wrap up today's podcast. By the way, I will be doing radio this week, Wednesday, 5 to 8 p.m. on 92.5 Fox News, 5 to 8 p.m. on 92.5 Fox News. I will put it on social media as well as at pureopelka.com pureopelka.com. You can find it. So join me, won't you? And till next time, testudo, my friends. Testudo.